PowerPoint. Sorry, find it easier that way. Lots of pretty pictures, so at least if you get bored with me, you can look at the screen. And uh, Alan asked particularly that I take a long time. Um, so obviously I do as my pastor tells me to do. <laughs> I try, I try to go as quickly as I can. Um, my heart is, is not, <laughs> so as being brutally honest, my heart is that um, God brings revelation today. I, it doesn't really matter if I sound good or not or whether you enjoy yourselves or not. I don't care about that. I don't really even care about being here. I've got lots of things I could be doing. My heart is worth it if there's revelation and, and it's life-changing. So that's my heart, genuinely is my heart. So, Father God, I just pray. Uh, I just thank you that you've been here already, but I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you bring revelation to our hearts today um, by your power, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, God, God told me, really, to tell a bit of my story, um, and that's what I'm going to do. So some of you will know more of it than others, but I'm sure some of it will be a surprise to people as well. Um, and, and really to start here, who do you trust? Okay, who do you, I mean, we're singing a bit about how perfect God is. Um, so do we trust yourself? Do you trust yourself or do you trust God? Silly, silly question maybe, but... Um, I often actually trust myself more than I trust God. Saddens me to say that, um, but it's true. I like following my own human desire. Um, less than I used to, but I still like doing that. Um, can't help it sometimes. It can be in the little things, can't it? Um, generosity, time with other people, time by myself, why not? Um, things like that. But also, um, my alone time with God. I mean, if you think about it, if we really trusted God, we'd be spending a lot more alone time with God because he's the source of everything. And so the amount of time we spend with God alone is a reflection of how much we trust him. I think, anyway. Praying, reading, listening, worshipping. It's a direct reflection. And so it shows me that I don't trust him enough. I do spend time with God alone. I could be spending more. Um, and so I, I limit God in my life. Um, worry. It's interesting, actually. I heard someone say that worry is actually practical atheism. <laughs> God tells us not to worry and to trust in him. But we all do it. I do it. We worry about bills, kids, how they're doing at school, whether they become Christians or not. You worry about your job. Worry about finding a partner or living with your partner. You worry about your parents or you worry about what people think of you. Um, you even worry whether people will like what you're saying on a Saturday morning. You know? But we all do it all the time. So we trust ourselves because we're trusting in our own ability to solve our problems, not God. Okay? So um, we also... I also, you know, I'm getting better at this, but we can spend alone time with God, but as we go through our day, problems come up, don't they, all the time? And 
automatically you kick into, I can solve these problems, I can work them out, I will do this, I will do that. And we don't actually, the first thing we should be doing is turning to God with that problem and asking him to help us. Because if we truly believe that he could meet us in our need, that's what we do first. He's much better at doing that than us. doesn't mean we don't have to do some stuff as well, but you start there. Okay? So put those things up just to challenge you, because if you think you trust God more than you trust yourself, you're probably wrong. Okay? And all I want to do is share some of my experience over, over quite a number of years, I suppose, in a sense, um, in how I guess I've learned to trust God more. Okay? Because experience tells me that my life would have been actually a whole lot better had I been able to trust him in all things. Okay? Too often have I tried to do things in my own strength. Uh, so just a word of warning um, about some of the things I'm going to talk about. I'm going to mention sex. <laughs> I knew someone would get excited about that. <laughs> Some of you have woken up. Some of you are scratching your head thinking, what's that? <laughs> I was hoping you might be able to explain. Um, also, I've, I've not laughed, shaken, fallen down in the Holy Spirit. I've not spoken in tongues. I've had no words of knowledge or pictures or visions or dreams. I've not even been to Bethel. Okay? So, if you feel like that, then you're in the same company, okay? Um, but I do have a faith, and I know my God. And that's more important than those things. So, I'm going to talk about a few things today. I'm going to talk about money. Whoa. Men and money, eh? I'm going to talk about pain. I'm going to talk about grace and mercy. Okay? So that's it, really. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, money, part one. So, just a bit of history. The start of the journey of my life, really. I try not to bore you too much, but I became a Christian when I was 15. A long, long time ago, nearly 30 years ago now. Um, looking back, I didn't know this at the time, but looking back, it was very much a Jesus God Christian thing rather than a Holy Spirit Jesus God thing. Um, so it was very much in my own strength, a bit judgmental, rules-based Christianity, works-based. Okay? And then I went to university, um, still without really understanding the Holy Spirit, um, and struggled, you know, because if you try to do stuff in your own strength, it's hard, life's hard. Um, so my, my, my faith, it was always there, but uh, I moved away from God probably. And I started work, and uh, I hadn't been to church for a year, maybe longer, two years, certainly wasn't settled in a church. Um, I had a non-Christian girlfriend. Came to Newcastle. It's cold. Didn't understand what people were saying. Um, you know, I was from London, so um, didn't even know where Newcastle was, actually. Uh, I had no friends. I had a boring job. Um, to be honest, I have to say, life was pretty miserable for me. You know, this was in my early 20s. It was pretty rubbish. Um, God was outside of my life. I still believed in him. I still had my faith, but it was like over there, in a sense. Um, but I did hate my life. It's funny that, isn't it? Um, so, interesting thing, though. I'd been, I'd been brought up in a family. Well, my parents weren't Christians. Um, and we're talking about uh, money here. And 
I'd never seen them, yeah, they were fine to me, but they'd never really given me much. I'd never seen them be generous to anyone else. I'd never, well, they'd kept their money to themselves, basically, which was fine. That was my environment. That's what I was used to, okay? Um, so given I was miserable, given I wasn't going to church, given I had a non-Christian girlfriend, for some reason, I don't know if you can read that up there. Yeah, you can, fine. I felt compelled to tithe. Bit of a problem when you don't go to church. Where do you give your money? So I was just started work, I felt compelled to tithe. So I was like, what do I do? Where do I give my money? So I started looking through the paper um, and found the Red Cross to give some money to. I found kids to sponsor and stuff like that. Um, it's funny looking back, actually. Um, I knew that God provided for me back then. Um, and I wanted to give back to him what was already his, really, in a very simple way. And I don't, I don't think I really um, understood what impact that would have on my life, that simple decision back then. It would have been very easy not to give that tithe to God. Very easy. But he opened the door to me, and I had a decision to make. Put that on my heart, and I could either walk through that door or, or walk away from it. And, and I'm really glad I walked through it. I didn't really know that it was such a big door at the time, but I'm really glad I walked through it. It wasn't easy to do. I had to go and actually action it. Okay? Anyway, that's a little bit about money. We'll come back to that later. Talk about pain. Um, work. <laughs> so early on in my life still, in my mid-twenties, late-twenties, I'd worked for five years. I had a great job. Um, really did, actually. I hated my job to start with, but it turned into a good job. God is good sometimes, isn't it, when you don't know what's down the road. Um, and I was running my own factory up in Newcastle with a bunch of Geordies working for me. It's very comfortable. I'd worked really hard, but I had got a bit bored. I was restless. And um, I was very naive, I think, back then. Uh, but God provided the door to a different career. Little did I know that that career was a bit of a roller coaster, certainly in the first couple of years. Okay? Um, I joined the recruitment industry. so pretty much a bad name, like lawyers, really. Um, it's extremely competitive. Um, very difficult job, actually. It doesn't look like it from the outside, but it's really difficult. And success is based on actually achieving targets, financial targets, okay? Every month. And everyone knows whether you're achieving your targets. And failure is not hitting those targets. And everyone knows if you're not hitting those targets. So um, I was used to being good at my job. I was the boss, and I'd come into this environment where actually I was the least capable in my job. Really unnerving, actually. <laughs> really difficult. Um, I was used to having a secretary. If I wanted something to do, I'd give it to them. I couldn't do that anymore. It was all about me. And when I say it's like a roller coaster, it was actually more like a roller coaster in the dark. You could feel when you were going up and when you were going down, but you didn't know when it was going to happen. Okay? Not a nice place to be. Not a nice place to be. Okay? And um, I vividly remember, you know, I had a lot of disappointments. Um, as a result of that, in the first couple of years, you adjust to it after a while, but in the first couple of years, very, 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 um, very disappointing. A lot of fear, um, no bonus when you don't achieve, that embarrassment, failure, those kind of emotions, okay? Not very nice. Um, to be, have to go into work and feel that every day. So, somehow, I felt compelled to praise him in those times. 
Um, so when the worst things happened, when I, I felt the most failure, the most fear, the most disappointment, my reaction was to praise him. I don't know why, looking back, but I did it. <laughs> so I responded. It must have been the Holy Spirit in me, and I responded to that. Okay? So I forced myself to pray. That's strange, isn't it? Forced myself to worship God. Okay? Um, and I guess that was the time when I learned to worship God when life was rubbish. And again, I didn't really know how important that was going to be for me in the future. Because I didn't really know true despair. I mean, it felt real at the time, those things. But it, looking back, it was pretty um, small fry, really, in a sense. But it felt real. Uh, so I didn't really know true despair, not yet. Okay? Um, but the response I had to my pain was critical to how I deal with stuff in the future. So, you know, I'm talking about here stuff early in my... You know, you've got some people here in their 20s. Definitely got some people here not in their 20s as well. Yeah. But... You know, the, the way you respond to God now and the way the habits you get into will have a massive impact on your life because you don't know what's ahead of you and there will be tough times ahead. So, enough about pain. Let's get on to grace and mercy. That was me. So, late 20s, early 30s, I'd made a mess. <laughs> Probably a bigger one than that. Um, you know, um, I was age 33 by now. I was divorced. Um, and I didn't even have the excuse that I wasn't a Christian. How bad is that? Um, pretty bad, actually. I had a daughter age five, who I'd had to fight pretty hard to have 50-50 access to. And we all know the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Okay? The trouble is with that song is you have to receive it. We all make a mess in life. You have to receive his grace. Um, it's your responsibility to do that. It's our decision. Um, and I did. Because there was judgment. Christians judging each other? Surely not. I didn't know at the time, but, and I understand it, and I don't blame anyone for it, but um, there was a fear of sin. We are actually unpunishable as Christians. Do you know that? Unpunishable. Jesus died for us. There is no punishment for us. Absolutely no punishment. Yet too many of us react to things out of fear of sin. And that's a lie. It's the old covenant. Okay? The new covenant is love. Okay, and the power of love. And I didn't know that at the time. I know it now, but I didn't know that at the time. And I think that's probably why I felt judged by some people. Because, yeah, clearly what I'd done and my situation wasn't, you know, wasn't proud of it. It wasn't good. But it was what it was. And I was getting married again um, to the amazing and beautiful Rebecca. I have to say that because she might listen later. <laughs> and, you know, given all that, I still knew God had forgiven me. And I had received his grace. And I was free of sin and could stand tall. And that was hard. That was hard to get to that place. But what freedom it brought, okay? How many of us feel guilty and aren't prepared to embrace God's grace? Anyway, um, 
prophecy for dummies. Especially for you lot. <laughs> so, got married. Day eight after being married. So day eight, we've got a whole week in. Got a whole week. So it was day eight, to be fair. We got married on a Saturday. This was a Sunday, eight days later. And um, a lady who didn't come to this church anymore, Kathy McCutcheon, who was a, I think she was a leader at the time, certainly more holier than me anyway. Um, she approached Rebecca and I and said, I feel absolutely awful um, about this, but I need to tell you something about your marriage. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, just bear in mind the, what I've said about judgment and all that kind of stuff, and even though I'd come through it, it was still, you know, crikey. Um, so she sat down, at the front of the church, I remember it well, and she'd written it down as well. <laughs> she'd written it down. Um, she says, God's told me something to tell you, and I feel awful about it, but I'm going to do it. How many of you have had that in church before? To be fair, I think both Rebecca and I weren't necessarily into, or, you know, Holy Spirit was coming into our lives more and more, but I, I think, it's a bit, yeah, right, whatever. God's told you, yeah, he didn't do that kind of stuff. You know. But anyway, we entertained the idea. And um, she, she, she chatted through what it was that God had told her. It was, you know, it was written down on a reasonable amount of piece of paper. So it wasn't just one word. It was a, it was a paragraph or two. Unfortunately, um, we lost it. Disappointing that. It's something I've, I've really been annoyed about. But, but fortunately, I am good at remembering the general summary of things. I've worked this out through life. I actually am better than most people at remembering the summary of what things say. So up here, I know what it said. I just don't know the detail. And this is what it said. You're going to have 10 really, really crap years, followed by fruit. So good job we didn't really believe it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and we forgot about it, to be honest. That's what it said. I mean, it had a lot more detail on it. I'd like to think it said things like, you're going to be tested in your faith. There's going to be illness. Biggest recession in history. Very, very, very challenging children. Um, always staring deaf in the face, immense relationship pressure. I'd like to think it would say stuff like that, I don't know, but it could have done. But it definitely said you're going to have 10 really, really crap years followed by fruit. Um, but anyway, God's good, isn't he? God's good. Um, didn't know that at the time, I just forgot about it, really. Um, so did Rebecca. Oh, that's come up. So, Pain, part two. So we've done a bit of money, done a bit of pain and a bit of grace and mercy, and we're back to pain again. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll just put it out there because it reminds people of, of obviously that famous psalm. Um, so a bit of history here, unfortunately, for you guys. Um, year one to two of marriage, I'll just read through it. Pregnant. Happened pretty quickly. All wives say it's going to take ages. It happens the first week. Um, but Rebecca was really ill. You know, for three months of that pregnancy, she, could, she was very, very ill. Um, our th my second child, our first child, was born crying. Cried in the cot, cried in the pram, cried in the car seat. You know, in places he's not meant to cry, just cried and cried and cried and wouldn't stop. And it was very difficult, actually. And Rebecca had lost her mum and her dad. You, you know, and so she was going through all this. With, with no mum or dad, and if you've got kids, you'll know for your wife how hard that is 
to not have those around. They depend on them a lot, and so it was quite lonely for her. We moved house, we moved to Whitley Bay. Um, we'd been going to this church, obviously, and we wanted to be closer to home. Um, got pregnant again, with a second or third child, whatever way you want to look at it, and uh, very ill again. Three months of illness and stuff like that. Yeah, it's hard going. Um, sister support, what do I mean by that? So with no mum and dad around, her closest friend, her sister, um, started to have problems with her marriage. Um, so we were very supportive of that. So this is just a bit of background, really. And then we moved into the next year, and the sister got divorced to that husband, so there's a bit more support around that. Um, we had girls of eight, two and three months at this time, and then got pregnant again. But to put it in context, a few weeks before, we had decided we could not cope with any more children. We wanted more children. We wanted one more, actually. We did, in our hearts. But life was too tough for us. We could not cope with it. It, it, we both agreed, we remember having the conversation at the kitchen table, we both agreed, we cannot do this. We, have, we are at our limits. And I came home from church, Rebecca was at home because she was ill. You know, she, had no, she was feeling really rough and ill and stuff like that. And uh, so I brought the other kids to church and I came home, you know, and she said, what's the worst thing that could happen? So I, immediately I thought she'd scratch the car again. <laughs> And when she said, no, it's not that, I was, that felt quite good, actually. I felt quite relieved. And then she said, I'm pregnant. Uh, and that was the worst thing that could happen. And I remember, I mean, I'm a pretty laid-back guy, but I remember banging my head against the wall, just not being able to contemplate it. I was like, how did this happen? Felt like a teenager. We had a three-month-year-old. We couldn't cope anymore. Um, we're at our limits, and she was pregnant again, and... and um, I, was bang I literally was banging my head against the wall. <laughs> I remember doing it. It's quite painful when you do that. Um, I couldn't even tell people for two weeks because we didn't want people to say congratulations. We felt that rubbish about it, to be fair. Did we contemplate abortion? Of course we did. We didn't do it. We didn't even go anywhere near it. But it was, we didn't want this baby. We couldn't cope with this baby. Um, but you know, over time, we, 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 we saw it as a blessing. Oh, it took a couple of weeks, and God showed us it as a blessing. And we started to tell people, and we were really happy with it. But it was, a, it, was, it was not what we wanted. It was a pretty bad place. Then a couple of weeks later, tragedy came. Um, so this roller coaster, you recognize that in the dark, yeah? Um, it's prepared for that. Cancer came along, breast cancer. Um, so not, not very easy in talk. And uh, I'm just making sure I don't... Yeah, lots of praying for healing and stuff like that. So it's a bit of a history lesson. We'll come back to that in a minute. Also, around that time, 2008, 2009, biggest recession in the history. Very competitive job that depends on people moving employment. Nobody wanted to employ anyone. So pressure at work, pressure at home. Not very nice. Um, this, was the, this was the sequence of events shortly after finding out that I had uh, a baby boy. On the way, you know, she's pregnant, so mastectomy, chemotherapy, all whilst pregnant. Um, had to have an early birth, radiotherapy. I mean, this was a whole new world for me. Um, and and, and I, I vividly remember week one of Archie was born, going to, Rebecca would take him to the hospital because she had radiotherapy week one. Week one, she had to have radiotherapy. So I would pick up Archie and walk him around the, the, the cancer ward in front of all these people that looked like they were dying. 
and there was this new life. Very strange, very surreal feeling. And she still had no mum. So still doing it on her own. So it was a bloody hard two years ahead of us, and that was the start of it. Okay? Um, total despair. That's what that's meant to look like. For me, you know, a sense of great loss. Can't, can't explain it really. Um, I think if you've had great loss, you probably understand. Um, and there's different forms of loss. But it's a kind of, just to give you an example of how, yeah, it was new to me. I'd never had anyone die on me. I'd never had great loss before. I would be walking around my kitchen doing what you do in a kitchen, making food, probably not making food because I didn't do that very often, but, you know, doing something in the kitchen and my legs would crumble with emotion from under me. And I'd be sobbing. And that was not me. It was just, I did not, it was just a response, just out of the blue. I wouldn't even be thinking about it and that would happen. There's a real loss of hope, I think. Um, pressure of life, work and family. You know, it wasn't happening to me, thank goodness. Um, but, it, but I was in the midst of it all, holding it together. Um, and you don't forget that if you've, if you've been there. And if you've been there, it's not very nice. It's totally disabling to be in that place. And a real new experience for me. Uh, but I also, you know, there's an amazing story in this as well, because I also remember coming to the church and the leadership as it was at the time, prayed for me, and, and Rebecca as well. And I felt instantly different. You know, so that was my first real experience of the Holy Spirit healing me emotionally. Just, just like that, I walked out a different person. So there's hope. You know, hope was back. And that was, that was Jesus that provided that. And the willingness of people to pray for me as well. And... You know, that, that was real for me. It was like, wow, I've been healed. Been healed. You know, you wouldn't know it from the outside, but inside, I knew I was a different person. I could walk tall, despite everything that was going on around me. I was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. We had to find a nanny. We had kids to look after. We had to find a nanny in four weeks to look after our kids and, and, and work 50 hours a week. You know, it's not easy to do when you don't have a clue where to find a nanny. Um, but we did it. God provided one who still works with us today, a few hours a week, still loves our kids, it's great. Um, but we were looking into the unknown. The thing about cancer when it starts off is you haven't got a clue. Nobody has what the, what the future holds. They don't really understand your cancer. Everyone's different. So many unanswered questions. You feel utterly helpless. Um, but I'd learned to praise him in my despair. The good habits I'd, I didn't know I'd, I'd had, in a sense, um, they die hard, and I'd learn to praise him. Really important in the good times to prepare for the bad times. Okay? Your habits you get in the good times will, will help you in the bad times. So, an example of this is, I remember that again the leadership came around our house to pray for Rebecca, and I... I wasn't able to do that. I didn't feel able to do that. So it was for two hours. I, I worshipped in the kitchen for two hours while they prayed, sobbing and worshipping. But that, that's, that's what I felt compelled to do. So when my, my life was falling apart, God was my answer in worship. Okay? 
So acknowledging what is in front of you, okay, I knew what was in front of me as much as possible. So it wasn't about denying it. You know, it's not, it's not turn away from it. You've got to face what's in front of you in the face. Okay, because that's true faith then, when you face it and you're still able to worship. It's a powerful and wonderful thing. It really is. And does wonders for your faith. So I would very much encourage it. Prophecy for dummies. Forgotten about that up to this point. And it was Alan's wife, Jackie. I remember being in the hospital and she was well, we were all pretty upset in those first, first month or whatever, things finding, you know, finding stuff out, diagnosis, the unknown, what might happen. world had collapsed. And it came back to me, this prophecy. I hadn't thought about it for a few years, and it came back to me. God planted it in my heart. And I remember saying to Jackie, I'm not worried. God said there would be fruit after 10 years, so how can she die? So that simple act of faith in desperate circumstances, set me on a path. I truly believed, you know, in, in her circumstances, that she'd be okay for at least 10 years. Because God said, he would get, God said that would happen in our marriage. And this was from something I hadn't even thought about for the last few years. Okay? So God is good. He provides what we need. We've seen about that today. He provides what we need. We just don't know it sometimes until we need it. So one of the questions I have for you today is how quickly do you worship when it starts to hurt? What's your first reaction? Is it to moan? Is it to panic? Is it to worry? Or is it to worship? Unfortunately, the cancer didn't go away. It came back. So Rebecca got secondary breast cancer. Um... And, and they were pretty desperate times, but we were maturing in, in faith, both of us, and getting to know the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and being equipped, I suppose, more and more to deal with stuff. But, you know, it's come back. It was still pretty tough. <laughs> it was like, oh, not again. I've been here. I know what's coming. It's not nice. Um, and, and they hadn't known anyone to live for more than 10 years from the start with what she had. Uh, she was at year two or three or something like that. So seven or eight years was the maximum anyone had lived with us. Um, what it meant was drugs, 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 drugs. More and more drugs. Lots of drugs. Um, her sister was divorced and starting to try to adopt two very difficult children who so we were supporting her at the same time as well. Life was still pretty tough for us, I have to say. Work was difficult. Lots of things. Change of ownership in my... You know, I sat on the board at work and there was change of ownership. I had a poor boss as well. So work was not a walk in the park for this time either. And the drugs kept going on and on and on. Um, and and you have, when, you, when you have secondary cancer, particularly breast cancer, but it might be other, it's, it's all over your body. It's escaped. So it basically means you've got cells everywhere. And one day those cells wake up and go, hey, I'm a tumour today. But you don't know where. It could be anywhere in your body. Um, that's what happens. It's, it's a lottery, really, in a sense. And so they, they scan you every three months because they know it's going to appear, they just don't know where, and they scan you. And then you go to the hospital and you sit in front of the consultant and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if you're going to tell me today whether I've got a new tumour or not. Because you don't know. Sometimes you know because you feel it. Other times you don't know. And so it's this bizarre world of entering into this three-monthly cycle of, OK, what's the news today? 
You know, is it life or death? So that was our life. Rebecca, you know, just to add to all that, she had a bad back. They, when they did reconstruction, they messed it up. She's had a bad back ever since. Chronically uncomfortable. She describes it like wearing a corset the whole time. You know, living with that. That's just one little thing that she's had to put up with. Um, she's had cancer four times in her bones. Come back to the itching. She's had it in her lungs, her head twice. She's had hair loss. She's had itching. You wouldn't think that would be a problem, would you? It, it was hell. Um, what chemotherapy apparently destroys some nerve endings, so what you end up with is itching under your skin that you can't get rid of. You, I, and looking at that and how, how it affected her, she was almost suicidal. That's how bad it was. Um, the only way we could re re reduce it was to buy some American baseball ice packs, basically cover her body in ice to freeze her to stop the itching. Difficult times, difficult times. That went on for about six months. So, you know, life was still pretty crap, <laughs> I have to say. And then there's the utter exhaustion that she has. You know, when you pump that much with drugs, it kills the good bits of your body as well as the bad bits, and it just exhausts you. So not only do you have a bunch of kids that you're trying to bring up, but it exhausts you. And so that is something that, that I don't think I fully understand. You know, it's I think the best way I can imagine it is walking with lead in my body all the time, lead weights around me, and just it wears you out totally. So, that was our life. Pretty desperate times, maturing in faith, getting to know the power of the Holy Spirit. But it was tough. We were, you know, we were surviving in God's strength. And I don't know exactly when over this time, but two of the leaders, um, so we've mentioned the leadership quite a lot, haven't I, actually? So two of the old wineskin leaders, first one, Marcus, prayed for me once. And uh, you know, it was just a normal Sunday service, and he's praying for me. He says, God's told me to tell you you're a groin I was like, mm, okay, that's a bit weird. <laughs> What's coming next? <laughs> um, and any, I think Marcus knew that I didn't really know what a groin was. I mean, obviously, I know what a groin is, but I didn't know it was a bit that sticks out of the beach, as in the picture there. And I think he knew that, so he had a smile on his face and explained what a groin meant. Um, well, the purpose of a groin is to stretch out into the stormy seas to stop the beach moving. And... That's what he told me that God, God had for me, really, was to stand firm in stormy seas and stop the beach from moving. And then Richard, another one of the old wineskin leaders, prayed for me another time and um, said, God tells you you've got to receive from him, receive his provision. He mentioned gold coins, that got my attention. Um, acts of service. And, and the key thing, he said, is even if you think you don't need it or deserve it. Yeah. That was the key thing. Very important, that bit. As a couple, um, we'd always done a lot of stuff on our own strength. Not a lot of support from family. Um, so we were used to, yeah, we had had help, clearly, but we were pretty much used to surviving on our own. So receiving things from others wasn't a natural place for us to be. Um, 
But only doing it is doing it, isn't it? And you've got to release um, what God tells you and step forward in faith, okay? And I didn't know how totally necessary both those words were, really, in what was to come. Magnet is meant to be attraction. Don't worry, we'll get into the sex bit. Um, you know, when, you, when you're married, you're meant to be attracted to each other, aren't you? Um, I suppose, you know, whilst we're going through all this, I would say there was a lack of attraction, <laughs> in a sense. Um, we had an open and honest relationship, and we had a desire to make it worse. We had a good relationship, by and large, I would say. Um, we shared a lot of stuff. And I loved and was attracted to my wife. Um, and I didn't want anyone else. Not that that was a choice or anything, but, but that was my heart. Okay? Um, but, but she was in no place to feel the same about me. Okay? No place at all. So, talk a bit about love and lust. So, love, right. When you're, when you're in the situation with my wife, and with her personality as well, I suppose, there was a lot of anger. Okay? It came from exhaustion, it came from fear, it came from stress, it came from four kids. And that, someone else, a nanny in your house, you don't want there. She'd given up work to look after kids and someone else was having to do it. Very painful. She became totally unreasonable. She would admit all this. Totally unreasonable, hurtful, abusive, actually, to me. She took it out on me. Okay. I understood why. I understood. I didn't want to be in her position. I was much happier in my position. But I understood why she was behaving that way. Didn't make it easy, though. Really didn't. So... I learned to ask God to help me to love my wife. Okay? Whenever those situations occurred, which was quite regularly, to be fair. And you know what? God helped me love my wife. Okay? Um, and it got easier and easier the more I turned to God. I couldn't do it in my own strength. I, I remember the times I was just like, God, help me love her. Help me love her. Despite what I felt was totally unfair uh, being put onto me. And you know what? It was, what I learned, it was about my heart in relationship with God, not about Rebecca's. Okay? It's about how I responded to that situation, not what was happening to me. God was starting to build my character. Okay? But also, that's the love bit. Loving the unlovable. Lust, sex, whatever you want to call it. You know, five years of no physical closeness from someone you want to be physical, physically close to. Um, it's not easy for a bloke. I know this because I'm a bloke. Um, I felt unloved. I felt used. felt wronged. I resented her. Um, I was the one holding the house together. I was the groin holding it all together. Kids, work, earning money, housework, supporting her. I felt like I should have red pants on a cape. Seriously, I did. I was doing a great job. I even had to massage her feet and back, daily her feet and back regularly, which doesn't help if you're attracted to your wife and she's not attracted to you at that time. But it helped her cope with what she was going through. It was, it was loving her. But I deserve some attention. I deserve sex. I deserved it. I was doing all these things. Why wouldn't I? I was Superman. 
Five years. Five years. I started to despise my wife. It wasn't fair. So I asked God for help. I asked him that that, that physical closeness, whether that was affection, sex, whatever, you know, it's not just sex, it's a bigger area, would become less important to me. And that was beyond my own capability, and I had, but I had to pursue that, okay, and turn my back on any temptation that would come as a result of all of that as well. And it worked. I got to a point where over time, and we're talking a few years here, it didn't happen overnight, but it worked. Those things became less important. I stopped despising my wife. Didn't bother me anymore. Power of God working through me. Because it was about my heart and my relationship with God, not hers. Okay? How to actively pursue it, though. Don't just expect a quick prayer to solve your problems. It was a decision. I wanted it. My heart wanted that. So I had to turn away from, I want physical affection. I want all of that, too. I want you to, to make that less important to me, God. Okay? Big decision. The outcome was freedom from the flesh, really. Whether that was pride in terms of loving someone who wasn't being particularly nice to you, or lust. It was whatever way you want to describe it, it was freedom from the flesh, which, you know, there's plenty of that in the Bible. How do you get freedom from the flesh? Much less sin in my life. I wasn't controlled by temptation. I was, I'd become more holy. Hey! <laughs> I was like, wow. I had. I knew I had. I really knew I had. So how can we love the unlovable? How can you love the unlovable? Do you need to start doing that? And what strongholds need breaking in your lives? We all have them. They can be broken. I know that. Back to money and mindset. Um, another one of the old wineskin leaders Wow, what an impact I've had. Peter Wigglesworth um, taught me about mindset. And God revealed, you know, when you get that revelation um, about giving. And he did a really good preach on tithing once. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So in listening to his, his sermon on tithing, I, I mean, I had tithed. I'd tithed my whole life. I thought, gold stars, a Christian didn't need to hear a sermon on tithing. I'm doing it really well. Um, but I was wrong, actually. Because um, what I learned above anything else in that sermon was that it was my responsibility to give to God. Then it's God's problem. I had to give up control of where I gave my money because it was God's money. I just had to give it and trust him and it was somebody else's problem. So I had to give my money to the church 
That's what I felt I had to do. Because up to that point, I'd given some to the church, I'd given some to other, you know, supported other Christians in what they were doing. But, but that was me in control of what I was doing. Yeah. Me in control. And that mindset of, I'm going to give this money, and it does not matter what happens to it, even if it's wasted. It does not matter. Because I'm just giving to God. And that's all he asked me to do. So I had to respond to that and be obedient. And that wasn't easy, because I like being in control. But I did. It took me a month or two, but I did it. Very important, that. Very important, that, that step of obedience. Giving up control. Giving it to God. And then Peter, <clears throat> a few months later, gave me a book. He said, God's told me to give you this book. Oh, my goodness. Don't like reading books. It was a book on abundance and about the worship of money. I thought, cheeky thing, why did you give me that? <laughs> anyway, it was a good book, and it had a profound impact on my life. Money is mentioned more times in the Bible than most other things, possibly anything else. And it's very, you know, verse here, you can't serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Very true, we all know about that. But um, I think I went deeper as a result of that book. Um, God made me more aware of my actions. Okay? So, um, decisions I make affect the availability of my resources. So if I, if I commit to certain long-term expenses, those resources are committed. They're not available anymore. If I commit to um, a bigger, more responsible job, my time is less available. Yeah, so we're talking about bigger houses, bigger cars, more debt, better jobs. They are all affecting our availability of resource. Okay? I didn't think like that before. I wish I'd known that earlier. It also, you know, I'd always thought money was about... Um, this, this, this verse was all about people wanting more money. You know, and most Christians look at, oh, don't be greedy, shouldn't have lots of money, that's bad, that's bad. And part, part of it, that's true. But actually I also learned that it's about uh, worshipping money is also when you think you don't have enough. When your mindset is, I don't have enough. That is also the worship of money, unfortunately. So, I'd learned to recognize God's provision as a result of these two things. Okay? Um, Richard's word. Receive gold coins, receive acts of service, even when you don't think you need it or deserve it. There's been times when people have provided for us so much stuff. Non-Christians, angels I would call them, and people in church for months at a time, cleaning, ironing, changing beds, coming into our house, getting the kids out of bed, giving them breakfast, taking them to school, doing gardening. At times our house has been open. People have just come in and I've been in there and it's like, oh, you're just coming in to help. Didn't even know they were coming. Non-Christians, yeah. probably more than Christians. Yeah. 
God's provision. God's provision. We've had, I've had bonuses at work I didn't think I deserved. I've had gifts, I've had meals paid for, I've had holiday homes, I've had cash. Didn't feel I needed any of that. But I'd learned to receive and recognize God's provision. Really important. And, I, and coming back to that word, I would not have been able to do that had, it, had Richard not, not been bold enough to speak out that word over me. God is good, isn't it? But it's also trusting in God's provision. So it's recognizing when he provides, but also trusting. Okay? Whether that's tithing, whether that's, you know, great example, another, you know, Alan's done loads for us. Um, and again, um, obviously he's in the new wineskin as well as the old wineskin, but, you know, whenever I went for a meal with Alan, he would always pay. And I never really understood that until the last few years. And now I have to fight him over who pays. Because <laughs> I recognize that actually God's, there's an abundance. God has an abundance. And... Now, I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm only telling you this not to boast. I'm telling you to, to give glory to God. When I go out for people, I always pay for their meals now because I know God's got more for me. Yeah. I know I've experienced it. When I tip, I give, give tips. I would always struggle with that. This is a person who wasn't used to giving, who wasn't brought up, would never had anything given to them. There's an abundance at work as well. I don't have to worry about success at work in a very competitive environment. There's an abundance of opportunity for me at work. Giving and sharing. You know, I was tithing, but God's taught me to give and share what I have much more. I, went, I started to ask the Holy Spirit to um, show me who, who was in need. I felt, well, I've got no time on my hands. I, am, you know, I have a busy life. I have a lot of responsibility at work and at home. I don't have much time. In fact, I have no time. I am knackered for a lot of this time. So what I have is, is money. That's all I have to give. That's what it all five. So I, I, I would sit in church and pray and say, who needs my money? And that was hard at first. I didn't like giving stuff away. I still struggle with it a bit. Um, but it got easier and God would tell me. Not, you know, some, some weeks I'd be relieved. There's no one to give money to. It's like, great. <laughs> <laughs> and other weeks it was some organisation or some individuals. And I would just, I, would, I, didn't, I didn't want to know it was me. I would just, you know, I'd, I'd go through somebody else. But it got easier. The more I responded to that prompting of the Holy Spirit, he would give me a, give me a name or an organisation and a number. I was like, right, okay. And typical, I like to go and think about things. You know, so I'd dwell on it and make sure it was really the Holy Spirit telling me these things. It always was. It always was because it, would it wouldn't leave me alone. And the more I, I acted on that and was obedient in that, the easier it got. The easier it got. And I, I started to develop freedom in my heart and my mind around God's provision. Because I, I trusted in him to provide whatever I was giving. I trusted that it would be okay which was really powerful for me. So I got to the place the last few years, we give, and I'm saying this to encourage and to bring glory to God, and actually I think there's a much bigger journey for us to go on. We give 25% of what lands in our bank account back to other people. You know, and that's come a long way. It's not an easy journey to go on because you're constantly giving up control to God, you're constantly trusting in him. It's a journey of your heart, 
actually. Journey of your heart. So, what is your attitude towards money and his abundance? Have you experienced what I've experienced? Maybe you've experienced more, and that's, that's amazing. I want to get to that place. But if you haven't, I would encourage you to try. Grace and Mercy, part three. That symbol's cancer. I've got a couple of verses I want to read out. This is Paul speaking to Corinthians 8 and 9. I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the troubles we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and completely overwhelmed, and we feared we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we learned to, not to rely on ourselves, but on God, who can raise the dead. And he did deliver us from mortal danger, and we are confident that he will continue to deliver us. He will rescue us because you are helping by praying for us. As a result, many others will give thanks to God because so many people's prayers for our safety have been answered. And then there's Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned up. It will not consume you. I know those verses are true. I know they are true. Pain and Mercy, part three. Cancer returned with a bang. I mean, it's always been there in our lives now for, for a long time. But when it gets into your lungs and then your head, it gets very serious. Rebecca had whole brain radiotherapy uh, a year ago now. And I have to say, observing that, it is a cruel, horrendous, horrific, barbaric thing. There's no other way to describe it, actually. It's oh, just seeing someone who, on the outside, actually looked okay to be destroyed by medical treatment. Four months in bed. Four months in bed. Family had to get on with life. Life goes on. Poor Rebecca in bed. Everyone else has to go to work. Kids have to go to school. She wasn't part of the family anymore. But, so this storm that had been going on just got even more intense, the thunderstorm. And I had learned to dance in the rain. I had learned not to wait for the storm to pass. Okay? I don't know how that's happened. That's just God. It was not me before. My journey of faith and spending more time with him, my my learning to rejoice in all circumstances, good and bad. My knowledge, my experience that God will provide enough for me to get through the day. All help me to do that. And it's a great free freedom to be in that place. Rebecca, on the other hand, wanted to die. Okay? She couldn't even talk to her children. It's too painful. Just she felt too sick for months. She had to crawl to the toilet, literally crawl. She was alive but dead, really. And she wanted to die or get freedom. And God met with her. 
I will take care of your cancer. You must focus on intimacy with me and your family. So in a desperation, a little bit like when Jacob wrestled with God, if you remember that, she was wrestling with God and this was God's answer. And this, this is her, not me, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but only doing it is doing it. <laughs> Very easy to hear that. <laughs> what are you going to do about it, Rebecca? And she did act on it, and she still is. Started with small steps of faith in response. So God can reveal stuff to you, but you've got to act on it. It's down to you to do it. That happened nine years, ten months into our marriage. I think God was right. Ten really, really crap years. That's amazing, isn't it? That God would tell you something that's going to happen. And we, I ignored it. And then he brought it back. And it was totally true. But there was a promise of fruit promise of fruit so we got to the end of 10 years <clears throat> anger reduces kindness increases in our family physical closeness significant physical closeness kids notice the change my priority at work changed it's about both of us here I, all of a sudden I was more interested in the loss than, than success at work we're both spending much, much more time with God. All around the end of 10 years. And then, in the first month of the next year, Rebecca starts to preach. She starts, God tells her to write a book. She's writing a book. God gives her poems that people, non-Christians, have responded to in amazing ways. Maggie Centre wants to sponsor some of her Christian work. Even the, the Maggie Centre person who runs it, which is a cancer centre, she's, she's, she wants to know more about God. We're both witnessing more. We have a heart for the lost that we didn't have before. Didn't have. Did not have. She started a pop-up group that has, I know, affected lives with women in this church. And I've become chair of the trustees. None of, we weren't looking for any of that. That's come out of the blue. All of that. And it's only been seven months after that ten years. And that's seven months. That's seven months. It's amazing. And I believe it's only the start. I don't believe God gave us that, that prophecy for a little bit of fruit for seven months. And he gave us ten years. Yeah, it's ten really hard years. He didn't give that to us. He knew it was going to happen. And he wanted us to grow and be ready for what was to come. So I'm looking forward to the future. You know, we've still got cancer there. There's no promise of, you know, no one's, she's not healed, no promise of healing. We're not interested in that. God's going to take care of the cancer. That's all we need to know. We need to focus on, in, focus on intimacy with him and each other. And that's me, really. So coming back to it, who do you trust? Who do you really trust, yourself or God? I think God wants to deal with some stuff. Turn to worship when it hurts. Are you able to do that?
loving the unlovable when you have nothing left to give, breaking a stronghold, attitude towards money and his abundance. I said at the beginning of this, my heart is, is, is not to stand here and preach, it's to share my story because I want God to change lives like he's changed mine through experience. And that's all I have to say. Yeah.